And welcome back to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White. And with me today, as always, we have... Martin Theobald. Fresh from bail and... <laughs> and, a, and a man that would never steal money from those who trust him. <laughs> Terry Chapman. <Chappendown. laughs> um, I'm going to ha- mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the thieving cunt of them all? <laughs> wow, C-bomb and we're 30 seconds in. <laughs> No news. holds barred. Oh, man. Just, just sat there listening to Frankie Valley going, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, anything exciting happened to either of you over the weekend? Nope. Uh, just a few drinks that turned into quite an abusive session. You know, if you're a woman and you listen to this, don't ever fucking Google someone, especially when you're in the fucking toilet either. That's fucking embarrassing. What? What? One minute in, and we've broken all swear words. Uh, <laughs> Wait, I, I just don't get that at all. No, Go- no, literally popped up for for drinks with mates. Just you know, it's the Saturday's light. The Frampton fight was off, right? right. So I was like, hey, we'll get uh. so anyway, we're out, and it's a mixed group. I'm getting asked questions. I say, ah, yeah, I'm a fan of boxing. You know, I, I do bits here, bits there. Oh, you're talking nonsense. Okay, I'm talking nonsense. It's fine. You know, be happy. <laughs> We've got a load of podcast listeners that would testify to that. <laughs> <laughs> Were they podcast listeners? How <laughs> did Akin Lana get on the weekend? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, this, this, is, this is my day to take it. <laughs> no, so, so conversation. So, so this girl goes off to the toilet, waddles for the record. It was, it was a waddle, <laughs> fucking waddle. And they spat coffee all over my laptop. <laughs> goes to the loo. I'm, I'm like, fuck you, t- take your time because I'm, I imagine you put a lot away for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh, so horrible. Comes back and just this tells one me. Less listener this week. Oh, fuck. Just shit. <laughs> <laughs> mm. No, so in essence, comes back and proceeds to tell me. My my Google life, which is quite nice. I, I didn't know my name was Terry Chapandama, actually. I didn't know I'd been involved in boxing. So now that I have that confirmed, I'm a happy person again. Does it, it say is. you're on the register online? Does it? Does it? <laughs> Mate, not for this one. Man. I mean, like, I, I, I think all judges would be examined. They're like, look, just get in where you can, son. <laughs> okay, I suppose we best talk about some boxing instead of waddling beauties. Um Brona Garcia, I suppose that's a good place to start. Um, fill us in on the deets. Who's going? I can. Um, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I wanted AB to win. I thought it would be good for boxing to have Brona have a big win. Sadly, we realise Brona's problems aren't... They're not lifestyle. It's not anything. The guy's just the... It's either just sheer laziness or sheer arrogance that he refuses to 
learn from his mistakes. So what I find interesting is if you track all of the performances where Broner struggled, it's been where someone has said you're going to get zero confidence from these first three rounds. And then after that, he just loses the will to fight, where he's almost thought, I can't win this now unless I knock the guy out, I can't win. And it was like that against Garcia. Broner is quicker than Garcia. I am confident of that. I'm confident that Broner hits harder than Mikey Garcia. But what Garcia was very good at was just saying, with the limited skill set I'm going to use today, I will be consistent with it every round and I'll make sure I outwork you by about 30%. And what happened after a while? Broner just couldn't. He was literally waiting for Garcia to stop before he could launch his own attacks. And Garcia just didn't stop. And then you got to round six. I'm sure everyone said this. Round six, you're like, Broner hasn't won a round. And you're like, shit, he needs a knockout to win. There's no sense of urgency from Broner. To be honest, let's be honest, between the lot of us, I think we only gave him the ninth round. And that's when he started to let his hands go. And this will be a fight where you just sat there going, why didn't he let his hands go? It was it was, it was, was a masterclass in the, in the fundamentals by Mikey Garcia. And I've never seen a top-level fight so comprehensively decided by the one-two. And it's as if Broner hadn't seen a one-two in his life. I just... It, it, it was a shame because I don't think Adrian Broner is as bad as that performance suggests, but until he can unlock who Adrian Broner is, that's the sort of garbage you're going to have to endure from him, I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> it was just a display of very good basics from Garcia. And Broner just didn't show up for it. And you have to wonder, like, why? What is it about him that is meaning that he isn't... Um, you know, maybe it is just that he hasn't got the talent that we all hoped for. And they'll keep talking about him being a, a four-weight world champion. He's an absolute advertisement for why world championships just aren't that relevant, to call him a four-weight world champion. Um, you know, that was meant to be his prime weight last night, 140 pounds. What is it about him that... Maybe I say he's just perhaps not as good as we'd hoped. So he walked forward an awful lot last night. The only times that he came off the ropes, he was walking forward with his Joe Gallagher esque um, guard, like hands up, giving the body to Garcia. Garcia is not really renowned as a body puncher, but was you know taking his opportunities when they were there. A few uppercuts that got kind of fired through the middle. But I don't know what the punch stats are, but probably seventy five percent of it, as Terry said was the one-two. <laughs> but the rest of it was just Broner trying to slip his way out of, you know, backing himself against the ropes. It's it's hard because it was almost underwhelming as a fight, but that's to take away from what Mikey Garcia did, which was just do very good basics because he didn't need to come out of that. And, you know, by round you said six, you're kind of thinking, this is a shutout. By round eight, it's a total shutout. And so there was no incentive for Garcia to you know, change what he was doing. And Broner didn't seem to, to want to change what he was doing either. So you just, it was almost a stalemate that you could see that Garcia was just walking it and Broner seemed to not care enough to, to try and change it. It was when he dropped his hands, when Garcia just stood in front of him, hands low, like, come on, do something. Yeah. And that's when you were like, nah, humil- this, is, this is humiliating. I don't care what you say in your post-fight interview. You have been humiliated. Yeah. You need to sit there, wherever you are now, whether you're in D.C., Vegas, Ohio, I don't care. You need to sit there and go, get rid of Mike Stafford, 
get rid of Cunningham, just go and knock on Freddie Roach's door and say, listen, I've got all the other bits, but I need that. I need that Pacquiao ferocity that, you know, you, you were creating in 2010. Can you find that recipe again? So here's the issue with it, right? Broner has built this career, you know, he, <laughs> he's the original Ahara Davis in that he's not, he's not as good as Mayweather, but tries to replicate what he does. But it's like a Tesco value Mayweather. Like, he kind of builds this real arrogant, egocentric um, playboy image but without having everything that's required to back it up. And so when he loses last night, he gets the mic straight away afterwards and he's going, oh, I'm getting paid anyway. I'm getting the money. Like, you lot will pay to watch me again. It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> I, I don't dislike him in that sense that I would pay to watch him lose. Well, when you've seen him lose, then the watching him lose seen, loses its appeal, yeah, right? I've seen him lose three times now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, it, it's no longer a novelty to yeah. see him... And, but but here's the thing that annoys me about him. We talk all this nonsense about Floyd, but what's the thing all other professionals say about Floyd? They come out that Mayweather gym. What do they say? No one works as hard. Hardest as Floyd. trainer in the yeah. sport. No one does. This guy's forty years old, and he, I mean, he's making youngsters look stupid. But who's ever said that about Broner? The thing is, in his more uh, less guarded moments, less bombastic moments. That's what he focuses on, hard work, working hard. When you work hard, when you're successful, when you... And it's about that. It's only when he's on stage with McGregor or whatever he's doing that he talks about money. Almost like when he's in Mayweather character mode, he talks about the money and stuff like that. But it's always hard work that he talks about, and I think people miss that. And that's the nub of this. It's... I think Floyd Mayweather knows who Floyd is and knows who Money Mayweather is. And I think he's comfortable with the split he creates. I don't think Broner has split the Adrian Broner from the AB character. Joe, you know, it's 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 like when it's like when teenagers see a drug dealer and all they see is the car and the stories the guy tells, but they don't realise actually behind the scenes this guy's paranoid as fucking so they lust after the things that they see and attach value to. And then they suddenly realise, oh, there's this whole other dark side that comes with it. And Broner's like that guy who doesn't realise that you can lust after what someone has, but be careful what you wish for. Because now he's found out that he's not Floyd Mayweather. But who remembers when Jay-Z and Rock Nation offered him $30 million, $40 million, was it? For like a four or five fight contract. And he told Jay-Z to go and suck his cock. <laughs> How's that working out, Adrian? It'll wow. be sucking cock for crack in about six years' time. <laughs> Guarantee it. Guarantee it. And th this Crack's is what, pretty good, I'd say. Because the other thing that hurts is, and I always go back to this moment, there was a time, I think, they had a show in DC, and it was... It might have been when Robert Easter was fighting for a final eliminator for the IVF belt. And Broner got all of the about billions fighters in. Gives this absolutely brilliant speech. Sounds presidential. He's like, look, we've all come from struggle. We've all done this. We've all, we've all worked to get here. This has to be the beginning. We can't just be happy with what we have now. We need to do more. And you're listening to that going, okay, no, maybe he gets it. And then he gets in the ring and you're like, he doesn't get it. Yeah. He just doesn't get it. Um, Patrick Smith, uh, you may have already answered this really, but Patrick Smith asks, um, was it, uh, did the outcome of the fight, was it more because of what Mike Garcia did or what Broner didn't do? 
I'm assuming you're going to go with the bro now. I, I think Mikey Garcia had far more to offer that he never had to and never had the opportunity. Or did have the opportunity, I guess. Could have done what he wanted for most of the fight. But Broner just didn't show up. And so there were so many times when Terry said about it earlier that Garcia was just unloading on him. And you would expect high-level opponents such as Broner to be punching in between punches and taking that opportunity between the punches to fire back his own. He just never did it. He just absorbed it. And you were just thinking, you, you're not doing anything. You, you're, you're countering with single shots against a combination puncher. And we've said it on the podcast before. There's only one boxer that we can think of right now who's been good at, at pot shotting, really. There's only one, and it's Floyd. But Floyd is a pot shotter who was originally a combination puncher. You know, you look at Floyd's first 39 fights, he's a combination puncher through and through. And it's something we never saw from Broner. You know, what would have happened if Broner had started to throw four or five punch combinations at Mikey Garcia? It would have been a different fight for sure. And that's what deprived the fans of fight of the year. I think Garcia turned up for it. I just don't think Broner did. And he's basically embarrassed himself. He he looked watery at 140 to the extent where you almost imagine he could make 135. He didn't look in the best of shape. Garcia didn't look particularly massive at that weight. So I'm surprised that he fought with so much fear, if that makes sense. It's almost like since the Maidana fight, he wants to show you how tough he is as opposed to wanting to win the fight. So he's now taking pride in the fact that no one's knocked him out. And he's walking around every time he's taking clean punches. And then Garcia would back off. And then Broner kept walking out of it, just shaking his head. Like... We all know, we all know, because we're fight fans, that when you see a fighter shake their head, as if to say that didn't hurt, then they felt them. And that means that it's hurt to an extent. I'm not saying it's hurt where he's about to fall over at the next attack, but we all know that it means that he's felt it, and there's something there. If there were, if there were titles, world titles handed out for shaking your head in a ring, Broner would have become <laughs> multi-time world champion last night alone. It was baffling. But credit to a trainer who doesn't get his just desserts, Robert Garcia, again, again, has shown how industry and a decent jab can shut down the flashiest of opponents, you know. Maidana versus Mayweather twice, and we're seeing it now. We saw it with Maidana versus Broner. Robert Garcia doesn't get the credit he deserves for just paring down boxing into its most simple form and going, be consistent with that and see how quickly people break. You know, look at Mikey Garcia. I imagine having been Robert Garcia's baby brother, he's been in the ring with guys 15, 20 pounds bigger than him. So nothing scares him, if that makes sense. You know, he's, he's been in there. And you can see from the way that he boxed, he's always boxed as a smaller guy because he did the thing that I really like where he'd throw a one-two. And not just step off, but he'd step off behind either a single or a double jab, which meant two things. Number one, he got out of range. Number two, it stopped Broner coming forward. And Broner couldn't figure that part of it out, which was actually you're not going to get to counter the guy because he's shut the distance down and he's closed the angle off on you. And the other thing he kept doing to stop Broner coming forward was just leave the left hand. Just leave it in Broner's face. And so he wasn't throwing it even, he was just leaving it there. Just to hold that distance between the two of them, he would just leave it in Broner's face. And you can see a couple of times, Broner was like, I I don't know what to do now. (laughs) Something as simple as that perplexed him. And you've got to look at Mike Stafford and go, 
what are you really doing for Adrian Broner at this point? You're almost a cheerleader for the guy now, which is a shame because someone has to get a hold of Adrian Broner. And I think probably the only guy is, you know, someone like a Freddie Roach who knows how to, to make those two or three key tweaks to, to get more punch output out of you. Okay. Uh, Carl Chapman asks, did Broner, Broner secretly sign up with Joe Gallagher? But I think you kind of touched on that. Yeah, the guard was reminiscent. The bro- Tesco bro. <laughs> um, Josh Finch asks, why is Adrian Broner so poor in his biggest fights? He builds up his record, then always lets everyone down. Should he retire? It's mental, right? Um, Sean Porter said it best. He just said, I don't care how hard Adrian Broner hits. I don't care how strong Adrian Broner is. He's not as strong as me mentally. So if he wants to beat me, he's going to have to find something he's never shown before. And I don't think he has it. And that's what it boils down to with Broner. I just think maybe he's had it easy his whole career because he was. He was he was a standout champ at a young age. He was or a four-weight world champion by 23, 24. From super featherweight up to welterweight with some yeah. bullshit titles. Yeah, you know, yeah. winning against Paulie Malanagi for a welterweight title, yeah. um, and, and so you look at it, you look at his record, and you're struggling to find real meaningful wins. You can say the same about Garcia as well. You know, maybe there's a Figueroa win in there somewhere. Both of those guys are guys who have records where you're like, I'm not prepared to put you on any pound for pound list, but they head off in different directions now. So Garcia has options, right? He has. The winner of Crawford and Dongo at 140. He has a Linares fight at 135, which I don't think Linares will take because, you know, Linares has been opened up by, by Mexican fighters before. I don't think he really likes that sort of style. But Broner, I imagine you'll see Broner fight, fight um, a Saddam Ali and Andre Berto, someone who you don't really care about, to rebuild and then say, well, this is the new AB, new trainer, new thing. And he'll fight an Errol Spence and he'll get destroyed. I think the thing with Broner, you're going to look at... He's he's going to sell his record off now, isn't he, essentially? it's How much would Sky love to have him over for, I think, maybe two, three years down the line? A Josh Kelly, someone like that, that's coming up through the welterweight division. Someone like... Um, uh, any any up and coming welterweight that essentially they can pay to get Adrian Broner's name against any light welterweight they haven't really got too many of those knocking about Broner got was it a million dollars last night as his purse that's a lot of money that's a lot of money so he knows what his value is he knows what his worth is and that's only going to diminish if he keeps losing don't get me wrong but he's always going to have some name value because can you imagine like all of the Sky team just burning off his and, four uh, his can, four weight world champion. I can see your exasperated look, eh? You're about. <laughs> but you can imagine it, can't you? Like how much you get that shoved down your throat. That he's an elite boxer and has never every loss he's had has been unlucky at best. Yeah, yeah, it would be a hell of a narrative that they paint for it. Um, but what range would they say he boxes at, Terry? Quarter range. We're adding new ranges. Now. The driving range, isn't it? <laughs> oh, no, it's the bowling alley. That's where he's got his most success. So he knocked a man out, wasn't it? Straight shooter. <laughs> um, DB0187 uh, asks, is boxing better or worse? You know, having a character like Broner the last few years, in my opinion, he's entertained in and out of the ring. Terry? He's, look, he's entertaining as hell. I don't, you can't dispute that. Um... 
he's a character. This, the thing is, it works when you're winning, but when you're losing, it's like, well, this all works and stuff. But when you start to meet those bullies, at the, you know, your fellow bullies, and you start, you know, running away from them, it's not quite the same thing, is it? Mm-hmm. I'm not as entertained when I'm like, well, you, you got beaten up by Sean Porter and Kel Brook didn't. So let's just, you know, let's have that in perspective for a second. Riku Heikler asks, if Josh Taylor fought against Broner, the Broner of last night, what would have happened? Or what would happen, I suppose? Terry? He'd lose, I guess. Like, don't don't underestimate how good Broner is and how inexperienced Josh Taylor is. That that Broner is that Broner is good enough to give anyone trouble. You know, let's not underplay how good Mikey Garcia was. He was he was compact. He was he was technically sound, and he stuck to a clearly defined game plan that they've probably had in their locker for a while. So, I don't think Taylor's there yet. You know, you, we may get two years down the line, and that's the fight Josh Taylor will need. But I think at this point, the power that Broner punches with would take years off Josh Taylor's career. And there's a there's a state of McGuigan policy that we try and reduce the number of wars we put our fighters in because it's about career longevity. Again, it's another one. When I was saying about selling off that reputation of Broner, if you can go away and get, you know, a couple of years worth of wins, some fringe title, Josh Taylor would be ideal for him at £140. Cyclone ought to be paying out their ears to get him over in uh, in 2019, early on. Showering him with cash. Uh, Gregory Doyle asks, who wins if Garcia and Crawford, um, and Crawford meet, providing Crawford beats Ndongo uh, for all the belts at £140? I actually think Crawford would smash him, personally. Um, and I think, there's no disrespect to Garcia, I just don't think he's big enough uh, to be a £140 fight. I think he needs to drop back down to lightweight. Um, I think Ndongo is going to find out against Crawford that he's a very, very hard fighter. I'd be surprised if Ndongo comes out of that with a win. Uh, I can just see Terence Crawford as dominating at that weight division and moving up fairly soon after. Um, but I don't think Mikey Garcia is a natural fit at 140 pounds. I think this was just a good opportunity to take a fight and win a world title at 140 pounds. I think he'll probably move back down. Um, out of interest, Terry, racking your historical knowledge, um, has there ever been like a bang average boxer that's, that's I don't know. This sort of sat in the middle, sort of of a of a weight division, then gone. You know what? I'm going to drop down a weight, and as they've dropped down a weight, they've found their footing and become super boxers. Almost like they've started off too heavy. Bernard Hopkins. So Hopkins had his debut as a light heavyweight in 1988. Lost that. Took 18 months off. Came back as a middleweight, and the rest, as they say, is history. That's pretty good to be just diving into there. Nice one. Uh, question answered. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, are we finished on Brona Garcia? I've, I've got nothing to add to yeah. it. Do we need to touch on the rest of the card? Well, uh, I don't know. Charlo taking out a damaged Highland. Um, didn't do a lot for me, to be honest, just because Highland was... <laughs> it turned into Hey Bell You Too. But just, you know... Interesting to see if Charlo will take his golden ticket to fight the winner of Canelo Golovkin. What do you mean it was Hey Bell U2? Um, Highland damaged his left leg um, fairly early on in the fight. And so he was just fighting off of one leg, dragging the left leg behind him as he was going. 
uh, and then eventually just got chinned by uh, by Charlo. So Charlo then became the greatest heavyweight in the world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Charlo should send that to Bellew and go. That's kind of how you do it. <laughs> yeah, because he properly finished the lad. <laughs> properly did it. Um, you know, did, didn't didn't leave him unscathed. Where you know the opponent could sit in the press conference and look like he hadn't had a fight. Then you got Jarrell Miller against Washington, which was a good fight between two shit heavyweights actually, and. I liked what Miller did. You know, it'd be interesting to see what the, the listeners thought about this. But I like the fact that Jarrell Miller, he goes to the head and to the body in equal measure. And that's rare for a heavyweight. So he was definitely touching up Washington's body. And you could see that, you know, for all that muscle Washington has, it wasn't very tough, was he? Because those body shots started to take their toll. The guy was just rolling around on the ropes. He had nothing left. But to be fair, neither did Miller. No, <laughs> at 25 stone or whatever, if you're getting hit by that. Yeah. Miller what had nothing it? left. 298 pounds. 298 pounds. Oh, that, that, You've only got to make up two more pounds. Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> lazy. <laughs> um, the boxing madman asks, after his battering of Washington last night, would Jarrell Miller cause any trouble for the likes of Joshua, Wilder, Ortiz... No. The sounds of it, I'd like to see him fight Dillian White. Would you? Yes. That, that's the fight that would make perfect Fucking sense. Fucking hell, if that goes past four, I'm turning it off. <laughs> no, that no, would be a no. waste of a fight. No, no, no honestly, the, the talking beforehand would be incredible. Because like, Miller's a guy, um, if anyone can find the clip of him calling in to, uh, I think it was Deontay Wilder, he had like, it was verbal sparring between him and Wilder. Wilder's no slouch in the trash talking. But he had Wilder flustered. No, no, Joel, he's, he's a good guy on the microphone. But he's too heavy. Like, he needs to come in. And I keep saying this about these heavyweights. You need to come in around 255, maybe 250 to compete with the likes of Joshua. Because AJ moves at somewhere between 110 and 115 effective moves a minute when he's at his best. And none of these guys can keep up with that. So it's like, well, how are you going to time a guy you can't move as quick as? Yeah, I think... Just anyone with an element of movement and some good boxing fundamentals will beat Miller for me. Okay, uh, John Murray asks, with Katie Taylor only earning $4,000 for last night's fight, how can we protect boxers from being exploited on big shows? It's a really good question. John Murray, by the way, is uh, coach to English light heavyweight champion. Uh, John McIntyre does the commentary for MTK. Uh, London. So yeah, shout out to John, lovely man. I thought that was Claymaker Bigsby, whatever his name was. Yeah, they do it together. Was that the other guy? Yeah, yeah, he's a Scouse fella. Ah, John Murray. That's like that name, just Claymaker Bigsby. (laughs) No, he's a nice man. Doesn't follow me on Twitter, so I don't care. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, how do you stop fighters being exploited on big shows? What was the point in Katie Taylor being over there last night? I think we discussed it last week in a sense of. It, she's not doing anything over here. She's not building a, a fan base and a reputation. And, you know, she's not generating more interest in women's boxing in the UK. So it's an attempt to build her over there. She is being exploited. If that's what it was, $4,000. I didn't know that until I saw it from John. That's horrendous, isn't it? This woman's <laughs> Olympic gold medalist. And they're talking about her, her next fight is going to be a world title fight. But is it horrendous though? Or is it just a realization? Cuz I think what Hearn's it's market re- value. Yeah, yeah. I think what <laughs> I think Hearn's now realized this ain't going to work. And it's not going to work because where have you seen Katie Taylor outside of weigh-ins and fights? You don't see Katie Taylor. Like she she doesn't promote women's boxing. So she can't be upset when the money doesn't <laughs> 
She can't be. <laughs> no, Andy, that's not what she's doing. <laughs> no, but but but, but let, let's be frank, right? If you look at if you look at the the female Olympians that have turned over. Nicola Adams has been an absolute bust. I'm always suspicious of people who go and train with Victor Conti for various reasons. So <laughs> when I see Nicola Adams out in the US training with Victor... Looking I, a lot more muscular. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I, you know, I'm quite suspicious of that. Um, Katie Taylor's training out in America. She's not really flying the flag. Nicola's not flying the flag. Savannah Marshall probably hasn't said 10 words in 10 years. Um... So you look at Clarissa Shields and go, that's the only woman we know who's visible and who's vocal and is and actually banging the dickhead. drum. I like her. She's a dickhead. But but I bet she makes more money. Like, I think she was on 50k for her last fight. I'd what? imagine she makes more money. Fair play to her. But because it doesn't stop her being a terrible human. <laughs> Why? Deep down. The shit she writes on Twitter. She's a mad person. Bless her. Well, yeah. but you have to be. Ter- she's earning money. Yeah, she's earning more money than Katie Taylor. How long till Katie Taylor goes and takes up UFC? It's an obvious... Probably a um, bit too old. I don't think she will. But I think how it's, much... UFC, if she can pick up the women's world title in boxing, I can see her just turn over, going to UFC and taking a big payday over so, there. So Heather Hardy's done this. So Heather Hardy said, I'll do both. So Heather Hardy is fighting in MMA now. Um... If we have any American listeners, maybe Dave McGinley as well will know this. Heather Hardy, Heather Hardy is she's a fixture at Gleason. So if you ever go down to Gleason, she's she's there. She's really great technician, great boxer, but Lou DeBella just couldn't make it happen for her. So she's gone over to MMA. She said, "If there's a good enough fight in boxing, I'll come back for it." But no, I've said it before. I'll say it again. There is no market for female contact sports. Full stop. I don't care what the sport is. There is zero interest in it. There is no market for it, and it's not commercially viable. Well, you Let's... said that if it was going to grow, it'd have to be women that got behind it. Yes, didn't it? but women don't watch sport to watch other women. There's there's this inherent thing in females, which is I'm not going to like you doing something because deep down I think I'm better than you. So, I, and I like that, but it just means you're not going to sell units, and it's a shame because there has to be a model whereby they can make a living. But, it, you know, look, let's go through the sports, you know. The women's rugby team had their contracts pretty much cancelled, right? So come September, a lot of those women are going to be jobless unless they can play sevens. Why? Because the RFU can't commercialise these women. They're just not marketable. Let's be brutally honest, they're not. And they take a shitload of fucking drugs anyway. So <laughs> I'm happy for anyone who, who thinks I'm wrong to sue me, but they take a shitload of drugs and that's why they wanted those contracts. So you could just buy the growth hormone, have it properly administered by doctors. It's a dirty sport. Same with football as well. All of a sudden, English football is fitter and stronger. You've got, you've got coaches going, yeah, we've got our women footballers down to 12% body fat. And then the presenter goes, but that's really unhealthy, isn't it? And that's a really unnatural level of body fat. He's like, oh, it's just cardio, right? Look at Rebecca Adlington. Rebecca Adlington was never below 15% body fat. She swam 5,000 meters a day. It's dirty. This is why. Like, just come out and say, look, just like the women who do bodybuilding, we take a shitload of steroids and that's how we perform with a bit of EPO. It's a dirty sport. Katie Taylor might just as be might just be as dirty as well. I mean, four grand gets you pretty shit steroids anyway. Who pulled the cord? Did you wind him up on the rounder or something? I'm in pain 
Just fucking tell them. Just fucking tell them they're all on drugs. Just fucking do it. They're on drugs. Um, I've said it. They're on drugs. And if you're not on drugs, you soon will be. Uh, okay. Um. Meanwhile, in Belfast... Suddenly, I'm waking up now. I'm waking up, baby. So... So the story goes that Frampton weighed in a pound over, uh, and then then Gutierrez Gutierrez pulls out because he falls over in the shower. Yep. Um, and that's they, it. Done. Everyone accepts that as the truth. So we'll be all right with that. And it is split on his chin, but he knocked two of his teeth out. And his nose, he kind of cut the end of. Um, yeah, so no, that's fine. That's that's probably exactly what happened. So okay, so moving on. <laughs> Look, there's a lot of questions over this. <laughs> no, no, not having Look, it. Okay, maybe it did happen. Freak accidents do happen. I'm not here to sit and make conspiracy theories, but if you did, what would it be like? There's a few little things that don't quite add up with it all. Okay, so there've been I've heard a fair few rumours over the last month. Things aren't all shiny between Frampton and the McGuigans. Oh, hold my jacket, please. <laughs> Don't know how true that is or not. Okay, so nine days ago, we're recording this on the Sunday. Nine days ago, Carl Frampton resigned from his position at Cyclone Promotions on the director's board. Um, so he's no longer a part of that. So that's a week before his fight gets pulled. Could be a complete coincidence. I don't know what the reasoning behind it is. Don't know any of that. Um... I've got a friend who is involved, you know, gets a lot of the um, the bits for fights and Blaine McGuigan typically sends out uh, and he's working on something in the background over no, here. I just, want, I just want to hear your theory of what happened, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt they can even hear that. <laughs> I think they probably can. <laughs> tell us what happened, Mark. <laughs> So, yeah, usually uh, Blaine McGuigan sends out, like, fight orders and stuff a week or so in advance. That never happened this time out, and it's the first time that hasn't ever happened. Um, add that on top of, I say, the Carl Frampton stuff resigning from his position on the board. Cycling so coming in a pound over. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of things. I'm not saying that there's anything that's definitely happened. I'm just saying there's a lot of things that don't quite seem right about it. Um, but... On the other hand, it may just be that it is like a horrible freak accident. But to take it at face value, I struggle with that an awful lot. And I feel for every person that went over there, I feel for every undercard fighter, just to find out at 24 hours notice, you know, people would have flown over to Belfast probably by then. Um, look, <sighs> so my version of this goes way back in time. So about two Saturdays ago, I was in a pub. It was the night of the Eubank Abraham fight. And there's a pub. Um, anyone who lives in the Clapham area, Brixton area, will know it better than I do. There's a pub just up Acre Lane from the Grand Union as you're heading towards Clapham. People know where it is. I was sat there, you know, having a, having a quiet drink because it was quite quiet. It was a good place to watch the boxing if I'd chosen to. And we were sat opposite these two, old, these two old Irish guys. And I was talking boxing, obviously. So one of them said, oh, so you, you're into your boxing? I was like, yeah. And the guy said, I grew up with Carl Frampton's dad. I'm like, you know when you said, ah, fucking whatever. <laughs> Did you yeah. Google him? 
and then goes to the toilet. So no one will ever do this to me. Yeah, yeah. No, no. So, so he shows me pictures, and they're photos of him with what looks like the Framptons. If you see what I mean. So I'm like, okay, you're that guy. And he proceeds to rip into Barry McGuigan. So this is like what this is well before any of this. So he's like, he's like, no, no. He's like McGuigan, great boxer, but when it comes to money, he's, you know, it's questionable. Let me choose my words carefully. He was like, it's questionable. I don't know if this is true or if it's not, but this is what he said to me. He goes, it's very questionable. And he's like, Carl's not making the money you think he is. And that's why the family are frustrated because, I mean, his dad's saying to him, you've got to do something about it. And we, so we had this lengthy talk and he was really digging into the McGuigans. There and, are a lot of McGuigans involved at Cyclone. Which is what he was saying. And he was like, you know, how many people do you need dipping into your pot? You know, you've got promoter, you've got a manager, you've got a trainer, and they're all taking a cut. And the promotional company. And he's like, the McGuigans are getting more out of Carl than Carl is. And this is all two weeks before, but you know, you listen to that, you're like, I'm going to lock it away and see how things play out. Well, I didn't know this was all going to happen. I didn't know the guy was going to fall over in the shower. You know, he either fighting or shaggy. It's one of the two, right? Because we've all been in hotel showers and <laughs> you, you do, everyone does that thing where even before you turn the shower and you check what sort of floor it is. Is it a nice granite based floor where there's a nice bit of traction? Or is it, you know, a bit sleepy? Or is it even, is it a bath? Because, you know, sometimes in the bath, you get a bit of shower gel in there. It's not quite, you know. Now, he might have just gone, well, look, I'm going to get beaten up anyway. Gets his missus in there. You're knocking away. He got, he, he goes, look, I fancy getting pegged before I fight. Bang. Smashes his head into the shower attachment. Fight yeah. cancel. Anything could have happened. But here's the thing I'll say to people in but Nothing in boxing is ever rosy. I don't care how much money people are making. Even someone like a Carl Frotch. If you said to Carl Frotch in a private moment, are you mates with Eddie Hearn? He'd look you in the eye and go, no, I'm not. That's what he'd say to you. We had a business arrangement. We're not mates. He he never gifted me money I didn't earn. He might have taken money off me he didn't earn, I don't know. But, you know, we managed to reach deals on things. So he'll tell you, they're not friends. All these sorts of things. And, don't fall into this whole thing when you see Hearn putting his arm around people, man. It's it's all smoke and mirrors. So is there something wrong with the Frampton McGuigan thing? Well, look, isn't this twice that there've been weight issues with Carl Frampton? There was one in America, there's one here. <laughs> yep. He shouldn't be coming in a pound over in Belfast. He's a like, super bantamweight, a career super bantamweight. He's moved up to featherweight. Yeah. So how's he coming in a pound over at featherweight? Or or, or just your 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 protocols don't work anymore. And right? then he said. I'm not going to try and lose it. Which indicates it's been a pretty horrendous camp to me. Yeah. You've got three attempts to make the weight. And he said, nah. So this is a world title eliminator. So, you know, the opportunity to go back for a third time to Leo Santa Cruz. This is a world title eliminator. And as soon as you say, no, I'm not going to try and make the weight. It's no longer a world title eliminator for you. It is for your opponent. Unless he slips in the shower. But, you know, for Cole, there was nothing on the line in this fight. After the weigh-in... After that was all cancelled, apart from the money, there's nothing on the line in this fight. So here's my question. You're Carl Frampton. Apart from a Selby fight, which Heyman can make anytime, any place, there's nothing for you in the UK. Why wouldn't you just go full on and be a Heyman fighter and just go, I'm done? Yeah. And, you know, and you know, I'm going to ask the question. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> alleging anything. <laughs> Let's just be perfectly clear. <laughs> right, yeah, because that's what people say before they don't let you. <laughs> no, I'm asking the question, right? <laughs> if you've missed that weight 
by a pound and you think, I can't, like, either I can't be asked or I can't do it. It's one or the other. I don't know which it is. If I pull this fight, let's ignore the injury for a second. Let's just pretend the injury didn't happen and the event gets cancelled. Who's losing the money out of it? Who's losing the money out of it? It's not the fighter. Because Carl Frampton leaves with the same money that he had at the beginning. It hasn't cost him a penny. It's Cyclone Promotions. Who resigned from Cyclone Promotions a week before the fight? Which I've just said about. So, Mm -hmm. yes, but also remember, they're insured against that. (laughs) If you think they'll leave with nothing, like, it isn't going to balance back to zero. There's no way it balances back to zero. I'm not again. I'm just asking the question because I said to me it's it's shrouded in stuff. There've been rumours that you're going to hear this week an announcement between them. There's rumours that you hear about Selby versus Frampton. I think if I had to take a guess, if I had to look in a crystal ball, I'd say by the end of 2017, Frampton would have just relocated to America, and like they'll all go their separate ways. Frampton's no longer part of the business side of it. He'll just relocate. You know, he's a Heyman fighter anyway. Just relocate to America and come over when it suits. It just seems to make sense. Find a new trainer out there. Okay, I want to just ask... I think this is quite a good question, actually. But um, Family Guy123 asks uh, a question regarding boxing scoring. Why isn't the tally from the three scores uh, scoring judges announced at the end of each round? Each boxer would then know where they stand in the contest. It seems strange if you're watching a game of football and the referee didn't announce which goals were valid until the final whistle. <laughs> this is essentially what happens uh, when a match goes to scorecards in boxing. So they tried open scoring. What's the most famous one? Was it Trout versus Canelo? Um, is it the WBC tried it out where they would announce the scores after every third round. Was it every fourth? Or was it every four, four, four? So four, four eight, eight twelve. Okay. Uh, and what it meant was that by the eighth round, they gave the score. So they gave it out after round four. Canelo's winning on points. Give it out after round eight. Canelo's winning wider by points. And so <laughs> rounds nine, ten, eleven, twelve were just Canelo going through the motions because he knew as long as he didn't get knocked out, he was far enough ahead on the scorecards not to have to try. So, providing he didn't get knocked down, providing he didn't get knocked out, he'd already won it, and he knew that because the scores had come up and everybody saw them. So, I think that's probably... It was a bit of a failed experiment because you end up... You know, you just make a stalemate of a fight. If one fighter is significantly ahead enough, it's essentially if Mikey Garcia versus Adrian Broner had that, you'd have seen after, you know, eight rounds that there wasn't a lot to play for, really, if you're Adrian Broner. You could make the argument that means Broner should go out swinging, but... You know, he would have known anyway by round eight that he was that far behind. But Charlo, uh, Charlo Trout, sorry, didn't go out swinging against Canelo, and it just made a pretty boring spectacle. Because we forget, don't we? The the real boxing at its highest form is when someone wins decisively. You don't want the judges, yeah. Best case scenario in a boxing bout, you don't need the judges. So having the scoring would almost place greater importance on winning the points battle, which would sort of watered down what we're trying to do with boxing. And as Martin said, it, it, it creates the moral hazard and encourages the wrong kind of behavior where you're like, well, I'm fine now. I just need to see it through. You know, there's some fighters who innately know how comfortable they're winning by. There are others who don't. But I think having them in that fog of uncertainty makes them fight harder. So I wouldn't change that. You know, let's, let's, not, let's not play around with the system. 
let's play around with the inputs, yeah, because that's how we're going to get better outputs. If we get better judging or better judges, we should get better decisions. Uh, because didn't someone have Brona Garcia like 116, 112? Yeah, horrendous. <laughs> horrendous. It was all three of them were, you know, narrower than they should have been, but yeah. one of them was 116, 112. Uh, Young Jones 9 asks, do fans have the right to be pissed at fighters when they talk about the money they've made? Talking about Brona. Oh, this is a hard one. Look, <laughs> if I was in that arena last night, if I forked out $500 to sit ringside, $600, I'd maybe be a little bit pissed if at the end of it, Adrian Brona grabs the mic and says, I get paid anyway, you lot can boo me all you want. <laughs> It's a pantomime villain, though, isn't it, at the end of the day? Um, be pissed all you want. Have every right to be pissed all you want. But these are the guys going in taking the punches. Like, <laughs> let's not forget that. If you were good enough yourself to get paid a million dollars to go and fight Mikey Garcia and know you're probably going to lose, you'd still take it. I would. So, like, can you really be pissed off at a man for I, doing that? I certainly think that it's a... I think it's a cultural thing, if I'm honest. Like, um, I can't speak for certainly for every culture around the world. But if you just take two uh, examples of American culture and British culture, American culture, money is a lot more associated with how successful you are and your worth as a person. And uh, it's a lot more socially acceptable to ask someone how much they make a year, whereas in the UK, it's, it's, it's something that generally people tend to find distasteful if someone gloats about how rich yeah. or how much money they make. It certainly isn't attributed necessarily to how successful they are. So I think it probably... Um, if you look at someone like Anthony Joshua, um, he has mentioned that he wants to be a billionaire. And everyone just slated him instantly. Yeah, but other than that, he hasn't really tend... He's, it's all the humble thing because that's he knows he's going to work with his English fan base. Whereas you look at someone like Mayweather but, and he's working with that American side. But don't forget that in America they declare the purses. If anyone found out what Joshua actually got paid, it might be slightly different. Yeah, um, and maybe that's a cultural... That's a, a vestige of cultural So that'll be interesting when it happens well. in Vegas, right? Because that'll be the first Joshua purse we get to see. Which will be announced this week, presumably. We'll find out. Yeah, God. So that, that would be that be my thoughts on it anyway. Okay, uh, UK Boxing Casual, man after my own heart, is... <laughs> this is you. Are you just submitting <laughs> questions? Yeah. Well, no, this is far too complex. You're, this is a phony account. You don't ask questions like this. this if you're a casual. boxing casual, you are not cash enough. You're meant to be asking what weights Joshua. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what punches McGregor win with? <laughs> Will he come in overweight against Klitschko? <laughs> Um, is Frank Warren slash Yarda slash Tunde cherry picking and is it a duck if they avoid Mando is Yarda a ticket seller does Frank Warren's social media guy deserve a raise so <laughs> pick the pick apart that and uh, give us an answer let's go to the first part of it right so this is on the back of through the week you've had so Frank Warren <laughs> put on a fucking mental press conference during the week so he gets Daniel Dubois and Anthony Yarde there to talk about a fight that's not happening. So all they do is they sit down at this press conference and 70% of it is to talk about Frank Buglioni. Because what's happened, the board have mandated Frank Buglioni, British light heavyweight champion, to fight Callum Johnson. And then they've mandated underneath that as a final eliminator for Hosea Burton, who lost to Frank, Warren, uh, Frank Buglioni recently, to fight Anthony Yarde. 
the winner of that fight will fight the winner of Buglioni versus Johnson. And so that was never going to happen in my view. It just wasn't going to happen. Um, Buglioni will fight Johnson, no doubt about that whatsoever. Buglioni has stated his intent a while back is to win the British title outright. He's getting paid X amount by matchroom. Um, and if he wins that outright, then good luck to him. So Warren's press conference is all about getting Anthony Yarde to fight Frank Buglioni. So he starts saying, we've made this amount, this offer, and I'm going to offer £20,000 on top of that right now. And so you're hosting a, pro- a press conference about a fight that isn't made. And you it was just so bizarre. And he kept quoting all the way through. Right, he basically wants Frank Buglioni to drop that British title because they don't want it to be for the British title because that screws everything if it's for the British title because the board have mandated him to fight Johnson. So he has to drop the British title to do this. He wants him to drop that title and come and fight Anthony Yarde. And what he's saying all the way through is Anthony Yarde's got a higher world ranking than you lot. I'm not... Oh, so I need to choose. To, so he wants to choose money over prestige. Well, but is no, that, no, but this isn't fair. This is we're telling half the story. Well, go on. There was there was a Hearn interview that said Frank's going to fight Callum Johnson. Yeah, Jose has been mandated to fight Anthony Yard, and then Eddie Hearn goes, Anthony, don't listen to the people around you. We've made you a very good offer, the most money you've ever earned. Yeah, don't duck. If you say no to this fight, it's a duck. So. I can understand why Frank Warren would come out and go, shit, you're not going to disrespect my prize asset. I'm going to come back out and I'm going to, you know, match your bid and put my money up. So I can understand why they've gone head to head. This didn't come out of nowhere. Let's be clear about this. You know, But it's really weird having a press conference. Well, it's really weird having an interview, right? Talking about, you know, oh, we've, we've offered this much money. Her knew what he was doing because he was like, I need to move my chess pieces because... I want both my guys to get paid. But he knows, really, if you if you took all those four guys and said to the fans, who do you want to see who fight? Yard versus Buglioni is the fight people want to see. Callum Johnson hasn't boxed since, like, 2001. But let's break this all down, though. Right. Let's be perfectly clear about it. That might be a fight people want to see. But if you're the board and you have to mandate who's going to fight Frank Buglioni and you look at those names, it's Callum Johnson. Why? Because Anthony Yard hasn't beaten anyone. Callum Johnson hasn't fought. But he's fought. He's, got, he's a Commonwealth champion. Well, he's a he, current... well, he hasn't, but he hasn't fought. Let's, let's deal in the, in the reality. He hasn't I don't fought. know the last day he fought. Yeah, but it's, it's, well, he's a Hearn fighter. We haven't seen it. But that could be injury. I don't know what no, the no, issue no, no, is. But, but, but the issue is probably we, we, he hasn't fought. Even then, ignore all yeah. that. <laughs> it should not be Anthony Yarde that would then be in the place. It should be Hosea Burton. It should be Joel McIntyre, the English champion. Miles Shinquin could have a good shout well, for it. But Anthony Yarde yeah, has done yeah, fuck no, no, all. No, no, but here's my point. They're cherry picking the four, right? So once you cherry pick those four, who ends up where is just a matter of negotiation. I don't believe the way they've cut it is for, I would have actually rather seen that rematch. Absolutely. I think that should have been the fight. And then Callum Johnson, who's been inactive, go against Anthony Young. Yep. That would have been how I would have done it. But when you put Callum Johnson up there, what you're telling me is anyone could have been up there. Then I think there is an argument to put Anthony Yard there. No, I can't. But I can't. It, it, until you put Hosea Burton there and go, well, look, this was the last meaningful fight for it. It was close until the end. Do it again. Oh, absolutely. That wouldn't be the most logical move, and it's stupid that they didn't do that. 
But I still stand by. <laughs> you got Warren for this whole press conference saying Anthony Yards ranked the highest in the world out of all of them. But you know what's going to happen, don't you? Warren's going to dig up some Romanian Absolutely. light heavyweight and just go sod the British route. Yeah? Screw you guys. And now Hosea Burton's there going, well, that's, that's no money for me. Yeah, but they've said they're not going to take the Burton fight. They are not taking the Burton fight. And yet in the same press conference, you've got Warren saying, oh, well, Buglioni, if he ignores us, he's got his next two fights sorted anyway. Like, he's just going to fight Gallagher fighters. He'll fight Johnson, then he'll fight Burton again. It's like, you're controlling whether he does or he doesn't because you could let Yardo fight <laughs> fight Hosea Burton. So you're making out as if it's a foregone conclusion that his next two fights are Gallagher fighters only because you're refusing to let Yarde fight Burton. Now, if you want to fight the British champion, you ought to earn your spot to do so. I, I, the whole thing baffled me. And the fact that he kept quoting about Anthony Yarde being ranked higher in the world, only in the WBO. <laughs> only in the... He's ranked number eight in the WBO because he's got their European title and it's... Like again, F- I, I need F- to WBO. <laughs> I need to be careful about the wording around it. But come on, man! Like Anthony Yardo is not the eighth best like heavyweight in the world. If he is, why is he not looking to fight the sixth? Why is he looking below him at Frank Buglioni? Yeah. Why is he not looking at the sixth? Why doesn't he go after Arthur Baturbiev? Because he get his fucking head kicked in, and we know that. So this eighth spot in the world is unfortunate for Yardo because I'm sure he doesn't want to be like. He doesn't want that around his neck, that he's the 8th in the world. He'd probably far rather be the 20th in the world. It literally and... means nothing. Like, world rankings, I I mean, then, uh, then, mean then, nothing to no, me. No, but then being British champion kind of means nothing as well. It's because, got more it's, validation no, no, than a world ranking. If you lined up the all the 175 guys, right, I don't think Frank sits at number one. I just don't. He's... But then someone beat him for it. No, well, well, Anthony Yard saying I'll do it, and yeah, then like, no. your spot first. That's like me putting my hand up and saying I'll fight 175 pounds. Let me fight Frank Buglioni. I've similarly done nothing to achieve a reason to fight him. I don't think any of them have. So I look at Burton. Burton got knocked out, but you got to make that fight. Callum Johnson's gone fishing, and he has. I, whether it's been, I just think I he, agree with you with that. It's yeah, the he, wrong choice yeah, of the four. Yeah, it's it's like well. What has he done to earn this? If you say he's Commonwealth champion, fine. But when did he win the yeah, he, okay, he, he ought to take the English champion. And then he, he beat someone from like fucking Swaziland or something. <laughs> so in both of your views, what is the most um, valid fight? Frank versus Anthony Yard. And my only logic behind that is commercially both men do better than any other scenario. Mine? If we're talking from a purely boxing perspective, Frank versus Hosea Burton. And then let the other two fight. And then the winners take on each other. And the losers... I oh, don't give a fuck about losers, really. Um, is Yard a ticket seller? Yeah. Reasonably. He is now. He's he's crossed over. He's like, what Warren will build this entire BT deal. Him and Dubois. Yeah. yeah. He, he's at that point where he'll be recognised wherever he goes in this country now. There'll be if, Well, I'll rephrase it. If you know anything about boxing or you use Maxi Muscle products, then you'll be fine. Uh, he goes on to ask um, Michael Grant saga and the AJ and AJ Carter. <laughs> <laughs> Should Dubois AJC be getting as much flack? Right. You no. Start- wait. 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 
Daniel Dubois was never calling out Deontay Wilder, right? Let's be clear about this. Daniel Dubois was just like, I'll take the fights I can, I'll take the belts I can. So if you give him AJ Carter, he's 19 going on 20, I can swallow that and go, I'm not holding you to a higher standard for about a year and a half. I can't. Dillian White, we offer, what, four and a half million pound in you? What? You never earned that kind of money in your life. And I'm like, okay, fine. When you go to America, we'll see who you find as an opponent. And everyone did this. When he said Michael Grant, everyone Googled it to go, is there that another Michael, Michael Grant? Grant. <laughs> and then you went, him. The one Lennox Lewis ironed out. <laughs> That's what we're talking. 46 years old. That's embarrassing. And that goes back to what we were saying about Eddie Hearn and his failed experiments last week. I emailed the Nebraska State Athletic Commission to ask how they would commission this fight. And they said, we haven't. And so Eddie's already gone on record at this point. And I have L interviews saying he's going to fight Michael Grant. It wasn't like he might fight Michael Grant. It was almost just dropped in like, blase, he's going to fight Michael Grant. <laughs> like, like we weren't going to Whoa. check who Michael Grant was. Whoa. <laughs> so I emailed them just asking, you know, out of interest, not trying to derail the fight, nothing like that. I just want to know what steps have been taken to assess the safety of Michael Grant against Dillian White. Do they just go, well, it's Dillian White? <laughs> no. <laughs> they email back saying <laughs> saying Come on mate, it's only Dillian. <laughs> we won't even we won't even tell him to get in shape. It'd be fine. He'll do a Lewison. <laughs> that they just said uh, we haven't had an opportunity to look into this and commission it yet. Because there was a, a big um commissions meeting going on for all of last week. So what was announced wasn't actually signed off at all. It's, yeah, it's not been approved and I don't think it should be. Like, it that, isn't. It, they've, yeah. they've now said it's off the table. Thank God for that. Um, the AJ Carter thing, here's my view. I saw him get hit by... Camille Sokolowski. Yeah, a blown up cruiserweight. And cruiserweight, he's a fat welterweight, Camille <laughs> Sokolowski. And now, I don't mean that. This, he could probably make like welterweight. super middle. Yeah. But here's my take on it, right? All right, you can get chinned, hit the floor, whatever. There was something in the way that he got hit. Yep. And it looked neurological. Yep. And I think I said it at the time of the fight, right? I said, this is dangerous. So, conceptually, I have no issue with Daniel Dubois running over AJ Carter. I think he's probably done it inspiring before. My concern is someone show me a brain scan that says Mr. AJ Carter is safe to box. I am worried about that because Daniel Dubois doesn't tap. And... I don't want us to be witnessing a tragedy. And that's not to take anything away from AJ Carter, but I think someone has to show the British board. I don't even want to see the two-year-ago brain. I want to see the brain scan from like two weeks After ago. the Sokolowski fight. Yeah, and say, mate, you're okay to box. It's To me, AJ Carter is a perfectly fine boxer to be boxing for the area title. I don't have an issue with that. Daniel Dubois is not the opponent he should be facing for it. Like, I know they've made this thing about they want to get all of the titles for Daniel Dubois. That's great. Like, they're going to go down this traditional route of picking up the Southern Area title. How the board have commissioned this, and also, you've got to ask a question, that Sokolowski fight, when he got ironed out, like, properly taken down, that was AJ Carter's last fight. So how is he now in line to fight for the Southern Area title? Because who else would have been eligible? They'd have been, like, Nick Webb, right? He's fighting for the English against Gorman. Ah, so so he's out of the picture. There are a few heavyweights knocking about. Uh, I can't remember the geezers. I've seen a couple that are building up um, 
you know, six and oh, seven and oh. But not, re- not, not really anyone who you're like, shit, it should have been him. No, no, there's nobody that I think, shit, it should have been him. But there is one that I would say, shit, it shouldn't be him. And that's AJ Carter, for the very same reason that you said, that Sokolowski knockout did not look good. And I it's hope, scary. Look, he's not going to get paid life-changing money for this. It seems stupid to me. And Terry's well, right, you may well see a tragedy that night. I, I hope not, though. I really hope not. But Daniel Dubois is not a guy to... There's no sympathy in the guy this, when he gets in that ring. This fight doesn't go around. That's my issue with it. This fight does not go around. So, like, there are many southern area level heavyweights where it also wouldn't go around. Get one of them instead. Like, don't get a man who's coming off the back of being knocked out by a guy who's eating his way up to heavyweight from probably super middle. Because it's not right. It's, it's morally not right. Speaking of morals and ethics, um, Riku, Heikla... He also asks, uh, why did Eddie Hearn meet with GB Boxing last week? Is it ethical for a promoter to meet with Great British Boxing? Terry. I've, I think I've said it on a podcast previously. I imagine that he pays some kind of rent, a retainer, to, to GB Boxing to use the facilities and to work with the boxers. He pays some kind of rent, which gives him exclusive access and which means other promoters can't do the same thing. Does that mean, am I, so if if that were the case, would that be potentially building relationships for future poaching? Well, not necessarily poaching, because remember, if someone decides not to carry on with Team GB, they always have the right to do so. It's, (laughs) you know, but you do, it's, it's not a contract of employment. So there'll be guys who will fight in the Commonwealth Games in 2018 and at that point, they'll be 23, 24. They haven't got the two years to Tokyo. They probably need to jump on board as early as possible. So Now look at the dizzy heights that Luke Campbell's got to and think, wow, that could be me. Well, with a few quid in an envelope, yeah. Uh, yeah. But but in essence, it, it, it's probably just a, we're going to carry on this existing relationship where the GB guys, we have first option on all of them, and those we don't choose can go elsewhere. I can't imagine it's much more than that. It is somewhat sinister, and it worries me greatly, but what can you do? Um, just briefly, Kev Morrow asks, uh, do matchroom commentators' obvious bias risk alienating boxing fans? And he gives the uh, example of Charlo versus Highland. I think what he was saying, because I, I watched the Showtime stream, I didn't watch the Sky one. He was saying that, in Charlo versus Highland, which what we mentioned earlier, Highland did his uh, leg in and Matt Macklin, I think it was, just sat kind of highlighting the problem that he'd got with his leg and that's why Charlo knocked him out. Whereas with Bellew versus Hay, they almost covered up the Hay injury to make Bellew seem like a monster. So the narratives are very different between the two. Just don't watch Sky. Just watch the don't American. Don't subscribe and don't watch it, yeah? Don't that's give the, him your money. It's that's simple. the only way you stop the bullshit is by just stop spending your money. You don't have to anymore. Uh, Mikey asks, how far do you think Tyrone Nurse can go? I don't know either of you want to answer that. Wherever he is now. I think he's peaked. (laughs) Yeah. Wherever he is now, he'll be there. The fact that he uh, drew with Joe Hughes, was it? Yeah. Um, You know, that that British kind of scene around there, like welterweight, is going to, you know, only increase. So when you've got, I don't know, Robbie Davis Jr., we can write him off for a little while. Um... 
but the moment Josh Taylor says, I want that British title, he takes it off of Tyrone Nurse. Without a shadow of a doubt, I think he'd probably skip over it now. Nurse has the same problem Broner does. You watch him and you go, nah, there, there should be more. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Like, I'm like, I am like, I get the whole time to look like you're on the cover of a Bone Thugs and Harmony album, but, all, <laughs> but there's got to come a point where, and I, and I think it's being trained by your dad, right? Like there comes a point where you're like, is it a crossroads? Yeah, you need to. Every, <laughs> I'm claiming that. Go for it. <laughs> no, look, if I was Tyrone Nurse, I'd really be experimenting with my options and I'd be trying to challenge some of these world. Fight a fucking Hank Lundy. But Just I don't... random, like a Hank Lundy or a De- Delorme. Just fight one of these American guys who's a benchmark for where you are in the world. There's one of these ones where you scratch your head a little bit because he was floating around as a free agent. He's ended up with Warren. You'd assume they would make a little hub up in Leeds, Huddersfield area with Josh Warrington... Nicola Adams, Tyrone Nurse, and you would try and push Tyrone Nurse on. So you have the three of them going towards world titles together. Instead, they've just kind of, they've moved Tyrone Nurse around. He fought in Leicester, I think it was, against um, Joe Hughes. They've not really treated him as anything special. And so why should I think that he's anything special? You know, that that little Leeds hub doesn't work, does it? Because Nicola Adams is off working on her Nutribullet skills. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like a good bit of juice. I love no subtlety anymore. People just like, oh, oh okay, yeah, yeah. And we know what no, you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> can I ask? She's probably watching Juice Bigelow, male Jiggler right now. Was the um, highest? Is there ever? Because you look at some other sports and some say football, rugby, and you look at some players and you think, what a waste! If you just had your head screwed on, you could have been so good. Have you got any examples of that from a boxing background? Like, is there any boxers you look at and you think, you know, Berto. it's so much Andre talent. Berto. Andre Berto is Joe Cole. I'll probably use a Joe Cole reference in one of the other questions. I like Joe Cole. When Joe Cole played for West Ham, you looked at him and you went, wow. Mm. Yeah. Put him, put him behind, put him behind a striker and let him do. He's scoring like thirty yard Raboners at one point. He was, he was doing what he wanted, right? <laughs> so good. And he never kicked on from that. And you never know why. It's probably a lack of desire. Like I think with guys like that, you know, you're a kid from Camden, you're on about 30 grand a week, you know, you've got yourself a little Mercedes convertible. Life is good. And you know your contract set, so they can't really fire you without paying you. And then that's when that desire to be a great footballer kicks in. And only a few people have that. It's the same with boxing. You look at someone like, we'll take Frank Buglioni, like fucking brilliant amateur. In his time, Great. If you ever watched him in the amateurs, you went, yeah, he looks he looks the part. So he's the same generation as uh, Callum Johnson in terms of the amateur scene. When he hit pro, everyone was buying tickets because they knew how special he was. And he never kicked on, if that makes sense. And I don't, you know, you never know what it is because you've got to sit down with a guy and go, what was it? But he never kicked on. And there's a raft of guys. Mike Perez is another example, a guy who never kicked on. Um, I'd almost I'd put Terry Norris in that bracket as well. Going back in time, there's there's a whole number of people. Danny Williams is another example where Danny Williams sparring as a young man is legendary in London. Like he he was taking older guys to school. There there are loads of guys who are absolutely brilliant and don't deliver. 
I know the the fight talk in the round A guys, you know, have their nuts in a twist about Inesu Twala. He's a prime example. Like, there's a big buzz around him because he's been dipping, slipping and sliding. But he was doing that when I first met him five years ago. So for me, I'm like, where's the progression? You know, there is no progression. Then you go, why is that? When you're so far ahead of people, you're no longer developing to compete. You're now just challenging yourself to find higher levels of greatness. And only a handful of people seem to seem able to pull that off. I suppose that's that's what I've heard that said about Messi and Ronaldo. The only reason that they both are so good is because they both exist in the same sort of time period because they've both spurred yeah. each other on. Well, anyway, back to boxing. Uh, Damien Taylor asks, it's been mentioned recently on the pod about boxers going to a, quote, dark place. And quotes, what does this tangibly mean? And can you cite examples? The most recent one I can remember is the Joshua Klitschko. And you're mentioning that... Um, uh, maybe it wasn't dark place you necessarily, but I um, something like digging deep and Joshua, you know, coming it's, back from it, the edge. It's a place where very few people go to. So Newton. <laughs> <laughs> so we, when you talk about a dark place, it's and I, I'm going to go very Tyler Good John here. When you've been in the ring, you know what it is intuitively. It's that point when your body just says fuck this, right? That's exactly what your body says. It says, fuck this. You've got your hands up. You're getting hit seemingly like the punches are coming through your forearms. You know, when you put your elbows down, everything's just coming through you and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. And it's at that point there that you go into this dark place that says, whatever it takes, I'm going to win this. And you just come back. The prime example, is it round nine or round 10 in Corrales Castillo? And Castillo, you, come on, look, I never know who's who in this one, but I think it was Castillo was finished. Yeah. Because it was Edward. Yeah. And you're looking at the fight and you're like, ref, you could stop this at any time. And that's the dark place. The dark place is, as long as I can throw my arms, I'm still in this fight. And he landed a piece of a shot, reverses it in one round, wins the fight. So, Foch Taylor. It's not quite as deep, but Frotch knocks him out in the last round of a fight. He's losing across the card. And also, yeah, Taylor had stamina issues. So <laughs> so you always knew that if you could get to round 10 with Jermaine Taylor, you could grind him down. I think with Frotch, no. Frotch's dark place was the Groves fight. Yes. That first Groves fight. The one fight. that he doesn't remember being knocked down. Yeah. And there was that round, was it round six or round seven, where Groves just let, it, let him have it. And you're like, you could stop the fight right now. You could really stop it. And Froch sucks it up and goes, nah, now it's my turn. I think that's what the dark place is. It's that thing of being able to take inhuman punishment. And you know your body's falling apart on you and it's failing you. And you will your body to perform at a level that it's not used to performing at. If you want a great example of this, Roberto Duran versus Iran Barkley, 1989. Just watch that fight to understand how a man who started his career at 119 pounds is fighting one of the scariest men at 168 pounds and is still able to stand there and fight with him. That's, that's the dark place and very few people you know, are comfortable inhabiting that. There's a darker place than that and it's Andy's Tinder history. <laughs> that's... And until, no you, and until you've been in the ring, mate. 
<laughs> until you've been in those rings. You'll never know how there dark those plates no will be. No man wants to enter, but Andy did. Yeah. That, uh, some that, people go, I just don't want to go in there. And I'm like, I'm going in. I'll step up. <laughs> this dark <deep>. place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, a question I missed out from earlier. Ronnie Moran, um, he asks, given he's never had a signature win or performance versus a top fighter, Broner is more overrated and more overhyped than he is, uh, than his wasted talent. Discuss. Okay. I'll jump in. Um, you got to look at his record, right? He hasn't got what I call a signature win. Gavin Reese. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's the problem with modern day boxing. Like, credit where credit's due to O'Hara Davis and Josh Taylor. Wherever those two guys <coughs> go in their careers, they'll have that signature win that said, we were prospects and we fought each other. The fact of the matter is, you get young prospects, they fight each other. Wherever they go in their careers they'll hopefully have more of those landmark fights and then you can map careers. With Broner, he was he was hand-fed bums, almost like Crawford was in the early part of his career, where they fed they fed him guys who were coming up in weight. And it didn't benefit Crawford because we struggled to find a meaningful win until, you know, until recent times. Even then, like, even if you said to Crawford, who's your signature win? It's more impressive performances than signature wins. Of the current crop of up-and-coming boxers, the only guy whose record you look at and go, that's pretty damn solid, is Errol Spence Jr. Spence Jr. has been through people who are still credible opponents for the guys like for guys like Andre Berto, Victor Ortiz, and so forth. So you can't say Broner's overrated. We've just found out where his level is now. Okay, Jay White asks, since Phelps lost to a shark in a race, do you think <laughs> any any animal has ever existed that could be Anthony Fowler in a fight? No, <laughs> no, the hedgehog. Hedgehogs possibly, because Fowler likes to punch people when they're down, but you can't, a hedgehog's already down. If you punch down onto that, you're hitting spikes. Yeah. Like, Fowler isn't going to want that any of that true. action. I was, thinking, I was thinking more of the giant tortoise. Just hitting the, the shell. Yeah. So, so, so they're, they're, the head movement would be incredible. I think that would confuse Fowler a lot. Like, <laughs> not the sharpest tool, is he? But to prepare for that, he could get David Price in because they're very similar in terms of speed of movement. <laughs> and probably size, if you've seen a giant tortoise, they're about 250 kilos. <laughs> Maybe like a gopher. Maybe he could train on one Maybe of those Gordon gopher the gopher machines. could come back. As they go yes. down, he could... He's probably done under yew tree, and he Gordon the gopher. Is he allowed around? <laughs> yeah, I, I think he went a bit mental on Sue. <laughs> Um, <laughs> maybe even sooty and sweet just jumped in just went all over him. Um, how do you guys rate Zelfa Barrett and do you think he's ready to step up to the next level uh, sorry that's from <clears throat> Carl Chapman he's a total enigma well, I don't know his exact record is it 18, 19 and 0 Zelfa Barrett knocked over like they must be running out of people from Hungary to send over for him to beat why is it that you're 18, 19 and 0 and you're still fighting that level of opponent you shouldn't be. You should have a significant, if not win, then challenge. Like, if, if you'd lost, it's not a problem. Sam Bowen, I think, is a better prospect up that way. The The fight has been offered many times, from what I understand, and Barrett has never taken it. Bowen is someone that is avoided heavily. Heavily. So every time he gets mandated to fight for an English title, whoever he's meant to be fighting suddenly retires from the sport or suddenly has a reason not to fight him. Zelfa Barrett needs to get himself a legit opponent. Quick. But but this is what's... 18 this, and 0, yes. But, but this is what's happening in the small hall circuit. It's 
it's where individual incentives don't match the sports incentives. So if I'm a small hall promoter, I want Zelfa Barrett to be on my show for as long as possible. So I'm going to milk this story of him starching people. You know, people get excited by it. What I should be doing is saying, look, you're, you're at a level where we want to send you to the other guy's promotion to go and knock his guy out. But then the other guy's like, nah, I'm too busy having my own Hungarians here. You can borrow some of my old Hungarians, <laughs> but you can't fight my we guy. We can rotate. Yeah, but you definitely can't fight my guy. And that's what's happening now is that you're getting these guys with these inflated records and these ridiculous Instagram profiles. And it's just ridiculous. I don't have a problem up to 10 and 0, say. Maybe even a few less than that, 8 and 0 of taking on these Hungarians. For these young, small hall lads that haven't got the distinguished background, the amateur background, I don't have a problem with them learning the process through to, say, 10-0 and 0 against some Hungarians that aren't really there to try that hard. Haven't got a problem with it. It's when you look at someone like Zelfa Barrett, who's like 18, 19-0, and 0, you just think, what are you learning now? Like, you're literally doing nothing with these lads that is going to benefit your career. So... The saying about like 20 fights for learning, 20 fights for earning is completely lost on someone like Zelfa Barrett because he hasn't done that learning process at the beginning. There's a very real risk. As soon as you see Zelfa Barrett fight someone legitimate, he does a Robbie Davis Jr. and ends up getting sparked. Rob Brennan asks, will Mucha show up for the John, o- uh, John O'Donnell fight uh, in September? Pulled out twice before. He's lucky to get that shot after the loss and missing weight. Terry, this, why are they all ducking Serge and Bomber? I don't care. I don't. If I don't care about either of those guys, like one lost to Serge and Bomber, the other one's scared <laughs> of Serge and Bomber because they know the Cameroon monster <laughs> will destroy them. He's, listen, Serge is an animal at one four seven, and he can still make the weight. We spoke on Facebook. He can still make the weight. He needs to then. Yeah. Well, no, no, because the fight he was offered against Tamuka was like, well, I mean, we'll do it at like one fifty four, whatever it was. But Serge was like, I can still make 147. So he needs to. Yeah, well, look, make the fight. He'll be there at 147. He'll fight John O'Donnell. Well, I'm sure he will be. If he's it, not it, won't, it won't go two rounds. In the same argument you were making earlier about Callum Johnson not being in a position, I agree with that. Like, no, no, he no, 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 no. no, no, Ser- no, no, but Serge is active, though. Uh, but not at that weight. If you don't fought at that weight, why whoa, should you whoa, get whoa. a shot? Anything. Whoa, well, Tamuka's got a shot, right? Yeah. He hasn't fought at 147. Yes, he has. When? He won the... Paddy Gallagher. Um, he fought Paddy Gallagher. Yeah, which was the eliminator. Yeah, but then he lost. How can you fight for... But he didn't fight a 147. No, no, but how can you... But come on, how can you fight but, for a title after a... Not only a loss, I but... I agree. Yeah, that's the issue I have with that fight, is that it's not two guys who've won. Tamuka Mucha won't turn up anyway. He's had this fucking offer twice already. He's had it signed already twice, and he's offer not turned it to, up. Offer it to Serge and say, 147, Serge, do it. And but it's, this is a board-mandated one. This isn't like a choice. This is the final eliminator for the British. The board, then the board have issues because this, we know this, that. This, yeah, this, this is another one I'm That's not happy not with. Loose, and like. and the reason I get animated about this is the way they try to blackball Surge after the Jerome Wilson thing. And I was disgraceful. You know, Surge is not a malicious guy. He's not a horrible guy at all. He's one of the. Well, he's, he's an endearing character. He's a good man. He just. I mean, there was a lack of cultural awareness. A lot of people won't know what happened, so he knocks out Wilson, celebrates in his face afterwards, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, and then Wilson ended up actually... Brain he damaged. Was, yeah, brain damaged on the back of it. And so the image that always sticks with people is Mbomo in his face celebrating afterwards, which... Yeah. It, it's <clears> bad <throat> taste, but you have to understand, this is a guy who 
who barely spoke English and definitely didn't understand the the nuances of English culture. So it was a whole thing of, mate, you've got to make a show of it. You've got to, you know, be a showman. And you can misinterpret that, right? And because if you speak to her, she's like, nah, man, I, I, of course I didn't want that to happen. And then you had guys like Dave Corbin. This is kind of deep down why I don't like Dave. Just digging out Serge and Bomber like, like he deliberately set out to do that. I'm like, mate, you're a fucking arsehole. You know, what an absolute fucking arsehole for doing that. But it ruined Serge's career. And he was, he was, he was making good traction of all the, the Cameroonian lads, him, Thomas Asomba, Christian Donfrank, and Big Blaze. He was the guy who seemed to have it most together. They were the ones that hung around after London 2012, weren't they? Yeah, good friends. Nice guys. Uh, David, Dave, sorry, go on. Go on. Uh, I'm going to change the question. So if you want, uh, no, no, no okay. I'm good. Right. David McGinley asks, uh, first of all, um, what are your thoughts on Jason Quigley? I mean, it, this goes into some depth, David. And I am uh, I apologise, but not to the point where I'm going to read it all out. <laughs> so the abridged. Yeah. Um, we'll start with Quigley. In my eyes, he's Ireland's biggest talent and has the best potential for stardom. <clears throat> he's no Katie all Taylor. All of our upcoming Irish boxers. So, uh, yeah, what do we think? Who was it he beat in his last fight where he won the NABO title? I can't over in America. Um, someone fairly insignificant. But he struggled. It wasn't an easy He broke one. his hand in the first round. Um, which makes you, like, as soon as you hear that about any fighter... I'm like, mm. Yeah, there's already... There's question marks. Yeah, who's wrapping your hands for a start? Um, I think he's super talented. He's in a tough middleweight division, though, isn't he? Like, how are you going to get that breakthrough? He's with uh, Golden Boy, so that's a good start. At least he should be able to get some opportunities to break out a little bit. I think they're nurturing him well. They're giving him undercard uh, opportunities. I'm worried about those hands. But he hasn't shown me anything. Now, I remember, I think he made... Did he make his debut in like a Canelo card or something? Something like that. Yeah, and they were, they were hyping him up. But I looked at him and there, there was... There's, not, there's no special effects on him. So I'm like, all right, so you're going to have to be pretty damn good at the fundamentals. And I was like, mm, you're kind of okay at them. Like... What is it you have that's going to separate you from the rest? I haven't seen that yet. I think they're hanging him around a little bit, like holding him back. Um, maybe because of talent, I don't know, but maybe just build him slowly. And like you, you wait for Golovkin to disappear before you do anything <laughs> quickly. There isn't that long until Golovkin's gone from this sport. You know, three years, four years maybe. You don't want Quigley coming up in that space while Golovkin's well, still about. But the worrying thing is you're going to start seeing the, the Charlos come into that space. Yes. Uh, Demetrius Andre park himself there. So it's never going to get any easier. Um, his second question, or rather his first, but uh, the one I'm going to refer to second. Let Terry go on this. Why do you chaps feel that the US produces far superior boxers in terms of style, ability and skills compared to UK boxers? Clearly they must train differently as amateurs and as pros. Uh, top UK fighters typically win world titles based on size, power, effort, training, dislocation, or maybe game plan, but rarely out of superior, pure, natural ability. This may also be a point of view for you guys, uh, if you don't agree, so I'm uh, open to being heavily criticised. Is it sparring, training drills, pad work, or openness to certain things in young boxers' development that UK coaches don't favour? Um, yeah, so I suppose... what. 
what is it? If first of all, I suppose you have to accept the premise that US produces far superior, naturally talented boxers to UK boxers. If you do, then why? And if you don't, then uh, what's the justification for you not? So, so my take on it is the US produces better schooled boxers. Um, so sorry, just to sort of pick that apart, natural ability. None, look, nothing in this life is natural ability. Natural ability is having arms three inches longer than someone else. Right, okay. So, 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 so for the purpose of this, we're going to go... For, we're going to merge skills. ability with with schooled. Yes. Right, okay. Yes. Yeah. So, there's the obvious thing of just bigger populations, right? Let's let, let's pause on that for a second. The wider issue is... It's about five times larger, I think, the US. The yes. UK, isn't it? Yeah. But there's a cultural thing, and I think... We discussed it earlier when we were talking about the money. In the US, the cult of the individual is accepted. I think in the UK, we are more on the side of the collective. Yeah, I'd say so. So what ends up happening actually is, let's take the Joe Cole example. He was always criticised anytime he showed any flair on the pitch. Do you remember, there's a time when England played Brazil. Um, I can't remember. We definitely played in blue though. and. One of my memories was Ronaldinho skinning someone in midfield with six stepovers. They gave the ball to Joe Cole on the left. He tried to do four stepovers, treads on the ball and falls over. <laughs> and in one moment, that showed the difference between Brazilian skill and English skill. In Brazilian football, the ability to skin a man is praised, like Joga Bonito and all of that. You have to have a trick. You have to be able to change a game with a flick with a trick and they work on that they actively work on that not only that but in, culturally going back to culture sorry to cut you off Terry but culturally it's seen as almost to show somebody up with your skill is praised to deceive the referee is praised yes. it's all about how superior you can make yourself either through um, subversion or skill or literally in any way that you can show up your opponent through either deception or skill they don't care they just want you to be better whatever way you know now what happens in an english game if you if you nutmeg someone you're going to get hacked straight away you're going to get hacked because it's not very teamy your, your own teammates will criticize you you'll get knocked down for that so you have a culture growing up where you're told no individual flair, don't experiment, do exactly as you're told, because we're about the collective. Yeah. Keep it simple. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it simple. If in doubt, lads, yeah. hoop it out. <laughs> yeah. now look, Touch and pass. Touch and pass. Where's that altar at these days? <laughs> what a talent. <laughs> but remember that it's... You, so you look at boxing. Boxing is the ultimate individual sport. It's not. It, you have no time to think about the collective. But British coaching is predicated on the collective. You're not too big for this club. In truth, there are some boxers who are too big for a club. (laughs) You know, you've got to do it because everyone else has to do it. As you get older, you realise that's bullshit too. Whereas, and and also if you notice, in the the amateur setup, it's, it's frowned upon for one coach to take one fighter because the paranoia is, oh, well, he's trying to build his own empire so he can undermine the rest of us, which isn't true. Now, contrast that with America, where in America it's not. It's one coach works with one fighter, you accelerate them and go, shit, we need to get you ready for the golden gloves. We're going to focus on you. So American fighters are used to having that focus on them and being drilled and having that laser focus on everything you do, fixing those errors. 
um, American sparring, for example, I know this from bitter experience. It's it's the most vocal, noisy, raucous environment you can have. I remember being in Gleason's and sparring. And there are about 50 people around the ring. Guys are banging on the ring and you've got 30 people telling you what you should be doing. You're like, fuck me. This is just sparring. Because, you know, like in, in English sparring, it's quite, it's quite genteel. It's sensible. You know, you might not even get any instruction, you know, at any point in the round until the end of the round. So all of these small things sort of equip those boxers with the things you need as a professional. But if you want to really break down the coaching in America, let's, let's be honest. There are parts of America that produce absolutely nothing in the way of boxers. Miami doesn't really produce many boxers. Many settle there, but they're not produced there. Considering the, the size of the black population in Atlanta, you're still talking about Evander Holyfield in Atlanta. You're not seeing anything out of Tennessee. You're not seeing much out of, you know, Mississippi. There, there are places in America that don't have successful boxing cultures. So then you go, where, where does it happen? Michigan, Ohio, around the Great Lakes. You can understand why. Boxing's an indoor sport. It's quite easy. Um, Texas, you've got the, the whole meshing of black, Latin, white cultures there. LA for obvious reasons. New York for obvious reasons. A little bit of Boston and New England. I've kind of like your boxing hotbeds in the United States. Maybe a bit of the Carolinas too. But what ends up happening is you end up with these almost like centers of excellence in American boxing. So it's no coincidence that in a short space of small geography, you had guys like Mayweather, James Tony, all coming out of Michigan, Tommy Hearns coming out of Michigan, Gerald McClellan coming out of Michigan, you know, which made the Kronk a powerful gym. Now look at the Kronk. People talk about the Kronk and they say Emmanuel Stewart. But there were like 15 or 20 great coaches there. Prime example, Bill Miller. So Bill Miller created James Tony's style. So the style you see James Tony have, that's Bill Miller. There's a prime example. You've got, you know, Eddie Futch based himself out of the West Coast in Los Angeles. Who learned under Freddie Roach? Who's a modern coach? No, Freddie Roach. Who learned under Eddie Futch? Freddie Roach did. So Freddie Roach is a Futch disciple, as are other coaches. Then you go down to Texas and you see what they're building now, where they've got Ronnie Shields, they've got Derek James, and they're building based on the old Texas philosophy, which was the whole slip and slide style as well. So you've got all you've got centers of excellence where all these coaches gravitate towards. You're getting it now in DC with the Mike Stafford, Barry Hunter. Uh, Patrice Harris and that sort of thing but to say Americans are better they just have these centers of excellence where everyone goes to train and spa amateur and pro you've got the Mayweather boxing gym as well which is becoming the the up and coming area for people to train so you're seeing these hotbeds of boxing which so, we don't have so what do UK trainers do that is effectively wrong we we brof briefly spoke about this before didn't we where you were saying that um if a UK, some, some, I think it was amateur coaches, you said, well, train, sometimes train stuff out of, out of boxes in order to get them into the, into a, to get them into a mold. Yeah. Yeah. So Martin's heard me say this all the time. I, I don't think there are three trainers in this country that are any good. I think, I mean, if you were to split the UK into, into four, that bottom right hand corner, all that Essex stuff, bullshit, really. Like, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say James DeGale probably looks at a lot of boxers of his generation and goes, if I'd had my way, I'd be boxing like that. I'll, I'll, he, he's a prime example of a guy where 
all the things James would love to do in the ring are coached out of him. So he's a guy who is like, I'm boxing this way, but I don't necessarily want to box this way. You see with James, he goes through various phases and then he has to get told to fall back in line. Because if you're a guy who likes to dip, slip, roll, move around, you're told not to do that. Like in the amateurs, the refs go mad at you if you start dipping under punches. They get annoyed by that. So then you're like, well, shit. You're trying to make me a stand-up guy with two hands up who steps forward, jabs, steps back, jabs, steps forward, one, two, steps back, right hand. And that's what they coach. And they tell you to do that. They never teach you why you do the things you do in the ring. So my ethos as a trainer is this. I want you to be a better decision maker in the ring. So in all of our training, I'm going to be asking you questions. What's happening in there? Why are you doing what you're doing? And then we build from there. I don't need to bark orders at you because in a 12-round fight, you're going to have to make some key decisions about what needs to change because I can't feel the shots you're getting hit with and I can't see the small, subtle cues you're going to be picking up off. But I have to teach you how to read those. And we don't do that in this country. What we do is we write it out and go, if you follow all of this, you'll be ready to fight. And that's why you get guys who are fit, who are strong and all that sort of stuff. And we had an advantage until people discovered they could do the same stuff we do, maybe take the same stuff we take, and all of a sudden it was like, shit, this is all equalised again. So we're losing our belts. Um, best UK and US prospect? Do you have, do you have a concept of, 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 of a, a knowledge of something that we can think for for the future? Or to be exci- what, coaching or fighting-wise? I'm just thinking, you know, what's... Uh, I suppose it's difficult to pick a... I don't want to use natural ability, but on the same basis we use school in lieu of that. You know, who's the most... I mean, I suppose if... Uh, the first the one comes. the question? The first one comes to mind is most exciting prospect. So like someone like Javonta Davis is the one that comes to my mind for a US point of view. But you can't say he's a prospect. No, I know. But someone maybe a few steps behind right. him. Do you know of them in the UK or the US? I'd have to come back because you asked me to, to stake my reputation. I'll, I'll, let me come back with that as an answer for next week. Um, because there are guys who look good, if you see what I mean. But then there's a handful of guys. Look, Ben Whitaker in the GB squad, I think is something special. But the risk with him is he'll end up with some numpty trainer who says, don't express <coughs> yourself in the ring. Where does he live? Well, Ben. Yeah. I want to say Birmingham. Oh, between Gallagher and, uh, and Sims. Yeah. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Whitaker's a guy where you're like, I don't, I don't even know who you'd give him to. Maybe Ishmael Salas. Someone like you want someone who's going to let him express himself because you know he made Jordan Reynolds look okay. Well, twice actually in the ABAs. He's 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 a special character. Um, so you're telling me that Eubank Junior. isn't textbook. <laughs> no, but 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 there's you a guy. But there's a guy who remember they were telling us he does everything wrong. Oh, he does this, he does that. Doesn't really throw a jab. Just so all he. But look at him now. Right? It's all coming together. Wow. I like watching him move. I love just just moving his body, and the bloke just doesn't know where to throw. That's yeah, what I love watching. And 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 so th- that's the great thing about boxing. And I remember talking to Prince Nassim about this. And Nas said, if I had to box with two hands up and just move around like they taught me in the amateurs, I can still do that. But I've already done that. The higher level of boxing is 
can I not get hit with my hands down? That's the highest level of boxing. And that's yeah. what you should aspire to, you know? And so why aren't coaches aspiring to this? The truth is they don't know. When you talk to all these coaches, I get really annoyed when I hear so-and-so has got a gym and I'm supposed to bow down and lionize these guys. I'm like, but who did you come up under? Then I'm like, but I don't even rate him. No one rated him. Who did you come up under? Who taught you? And there's only a handful of guys you can say. Like, if you came up under a Jimmy Tibbs, cool. Okay, fine. Now, like I'm seeing Richard Towers now. And he spent time with Adam Booth. What will that mean for Richard Towers as a trainer? Don't know. Hopefully he doesn't end up with Caldwell. <coughs> you know, I mean, God help him. But we'll see. Let, let's see. Darren Barker's doing a little thing on the side. But here's what I say. If any young fighters listening to this and you really want to understand what it's like to be around a coach who knows how to box, get some time with Gary Logan. That's all I'll say. Get some time with Gary Logan because he gets it. Like, Gary Logan's a guy who will teach you about boxing. He won't just tell you what to do. He will teach you. He'll sit you down with fights and he will walk you through it. And that's what a lot of these boxers don't have. Remember, Mike Tyson had... Was it Bill Caton who who had the... He owned all the video libraries of all the fights. So Mike Tyson had access to every fight from like 1930 to like 1980 or something. And all Tyson would do is watch it. He'd watch fights. Um, There was a Mike Tyson podcast. If you can find it on iTunes, get hold of this. And he's talking to Lennox Lewis. And Lennox was talking about when they first met in 1981. And he was like, yeah, Mike took me up to his room or to the attic, and they were just watching fight films, and Mike was just breaking down what each fighter was doing. How many boxers today can do that? None. Because they don't get it. They they spend 80%... Too humble, mate. No, they spend 80% of their time putting up Instagram videos of them doing press-ups, pull-ups and stuff. And being humble and talking about... But there's no value in that. and I come together. <laughs> <laughs> because how many times do we see these, these overweight Eastern Europeans come, and all they have is a bit of nous? And they make these guys look stupid. Um, okay, moving on to one of our last questions. Um, Senor Tasty asks, if by some miracle McGregor beats Floyd, would the boxing community cope with the humiliation? I don't expect you to donate too much time to this. I think this is a question designed to get a rise out of a pair of you, if I'm honest. Crack cocaine. <laughs> I think that's the only route that we can all go down. Um, if he wins it'd be the greatest marketing tool ever like you'd have to make Floyd Mayweather professor emeritus of marketing at Harvard Business School because you go yeah let me throw this fight make it look entertaining we'll do it all again make even more money and ultimately that's what this is about like all these little stories we're hearing the truth is Conor McGregor is not learning to box at a high level be clear about this he knows what he's there for. He knows what Floyd will let him do, and he knows what Floyd will not let him do. But yeah, should it ever happen, I could not deal with the number of MMA fans. Mate, you have to wear a tap out t shirt. <laughs> just walk around with a little gloves. Just <laughs> gonna start doing it. Just with a bag. No, no, just a tap out t shirt, tap out bag. Just walk into work. <laughs> uh, okay, um, you wanted to talk about David Hay? David Hay, wow. Um,. What a genius. In fact, make him Professor Emeritus of everything business related. Uh, make him Professor Emeritus of fashion studies as well. Uh, look, he loses to Tony Bellew. And we're all talking about how he's finished and he's washed up. He pulls two incredible moves. Number one, he gets Ishmael Salas. 
to work with him and his stable of fighters. Genius move. Number two, he, he moneyballs the whole amateur scene by signing guys who are talented, but maybe there were question marks over them. Yeah, So he moneyballs that, combines Ishmael Salas with this, knowing that the right habits will happen. And you also get Jorge Linares in your gym, which is good. For the record, that gym is... David will go mental when he sees the gym. It's an absolute mess, and he loves his gym to be spotless. But if you look at... If, from what I'm hearing inside the camp is true, there are deals agreed with Parker, and there are deals agreed with Huey Fury to fight the winner of that title fight. By either the end of the year or early next year, my suspicion is early next year. Now... We know Joshua's tied up for three fights. That's, that, that's as factual as we can be. He's going to have to fight Klitschko. Then he's going to have to do two mandatories. There's no question about that. Wilder will be tied up with whoever he chooses to fight. I imagine it's Lewis Ortiz. And then he's got, two, he's got one mandatory because he's only got one belt. So the big names in the division are tied up for the foreseeable future. For the next 12 to 15 months, guaranteed. Fury's... Who knows where Tyson Fury is? The most marketable name who is available in the heavyweight division right now is David Hay. So he now, from having lost to Bellew, he has options. He can fight Bellew. He can fight Huey Fury. He can fight Parker. And even more entertainingly, I've heard, don't rule out the Andre Ward fight. So to come back and actually become the most relevant name in the heavyweight division from a commercial perspective, that's a great move. Because if you remember what Bell you were saying when David was still injured, he was like, it will all be on my terms. It will be this. It will be that. And we swallowed it and said, fair's fair. You won the fight. What did David say? I'll go and get the WBO belt. So if we fight for a heavyweight belt, which is what you want, Tony Bell, you, you've got to take that 90-10 split or whatever it is, the <clears throat> WBO mandate. Another power move. So I think the last few days I've just seen David Hayes show he really gets the sport of boxing because now Bell, you suddenly realize one, Wilder's too big. You know, he's admitted that himself. I think he admitted it on the Colin Murray show where he was like, I'm not going to fight Wilder. So really it's Parker. Hearn can't offer him the money that Hay can. And then you're looking at Andre Ward. But if, if, I mean, anyone could fight Andre Ward. Adonis Stevenson could throw his hat in the ring. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Ward has options. You know, someone could come up from 168 to fight Ward. He has options. Really, Bellew's most lucrative option is David Hay. And all of a sudden, David said, well, the terms have changed a lot because I'm really going for the belt. You can wait until I'm ready to fight you. So all around a good week for David Hay. And he's managed to do this all from the sunny Isle of Mykonos. There's a lesson for you guys. Take a holiday and watch how you can control the heavyweight division. But, I mean, let's be perfectly clear about this. When we were saying earlier about the board and how they rank fighters and why is Callum Johnson near Frank Buglioni, like, it's an absolute skid mark on the sport if David Hay gets a world heavyweight title shot. It is. Like... There is no way that can be just... No way whatsoever. So beating the Cobra, beating Mark Demori, going back to last year, losing to Bellew. Those are the three comeback fights. There is no way, from a sporting perspective, I can swallow the idea of David Hay 
legitimately being in a position to fight for a that's world given, title. I have to agree with you. I'd say that's given his name the title shot rather than... Yeah, don't give it... Like, you can't begrudge a man if he gets it, whatever, get a big payday, get out of the sport. But from a sporting perspective, like, it's just... If that happens, that's embarrassing. Voluntary defence. It's allowed. Uh, but you have to be in the top 15 of a, a governing body. Yeah, they put him in there. I know they would. Yeah, that's they my problem. That's my point and my problem with it is that if you put no, him- they'll put him in at fifteen. It's not like a Mendoza where they just put him at <laughs> in <number> at six. <laughs> no, in at one for Luke Campbell. Yeah, I was thinking Smith, but yeah, I mean, I, I personally, I couldn't, I couldn't swallow that idea easily that David Hayes should be in the top fifteen of a ranking body based on his activity and victories. But it's a lesson for everyone that show you produce the money. And you will find that fights will always come to you. And I think this was the thing, Bell, you forgot when he was always disparaging about David Hay. David is good for money. Like, Bell, you made a good deal of money from that. And he will do well to remember that when it comes to renegotiating that rematch. Okay, I think that brings us to the end. That is one monster pod. So if you've got any soapbox to drag out and stand on and uh, give it your all, you need to do it quickly. Is Klitschko Joshua really going to happen? Hmm. I hope it, well, I hope it does. And and the reason is because I'd rather see that than Joshua Valuev. Valuev? Uh, sorry, Pulev. Fuck me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, Pulev. I'd rather see that. I'd rather see Klitschko than Pulev. Like, why? I mean, I realise Pulev's probably going to have to have it anyway, but... But look, your, your issue over Pulev is what is so impressive about Klitschko. In that Klitschko kept the interest in his world heavyweight title reign over in Germany. He was selling out stadiums of 50,000 every time. Now, you're losing interest in Joshua at the prospect of a Pulev fight. Klitschko yeah. went through every mandatory defence he had to do, including the likes of Alex Leopai. Nobody wanted to see him fight Alex Leopai. <laughs> Alex Leopold didn't want to see him fight Alex Leopold. <laughs> Please pull out Klitschko. Yeah. Like, nobody wanted that fight. But he still managed to go through with it and still managed to sell out that stadium over in Germany. Probably the Hamburg one, if I had to yeah. take a punt. Um, and that shows how impressive Klitschko has been as a boxer for a decade. And a businessman. You're bored of Joshua potentially fighting Pulev in his second, third for yeah. whatever his defence it would work because out because I want to see Joshua in a fight that he might lose I, like, there isn't going to be one for a while is it Fury's seemingly oh, out yeah. of the picture oh, Fury don't get me start on that um, what a Wild, penis that Wild, man is Wilder's definitely tied up oh. um, and then who else is there really who's a threat no one like, Fury's just ruined it he's ruined you've it you've lost the world to live with Fury I have because it, 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 for me that was like you know, you were waiting for like, I don't know. It was almost like a WWE story where he's waiting to come by. Uh, I'll get you when I'm back out of the no, mental he, asylum or something like that. tired again, just leave. But just, just, You're giving it the oxygen. But the problem was, uh, there have been problems in that Fury camp for a while. I remember there was an interview with Peter <laughs> Fury. an understatement. No, no, but there, <laughs> there was an interview with Peter Fury and I found it interesting because whenever they asked about Tyson, he's like, I can't really worry about Tyson anymore. Tyson is Tyson. I can only worry about Huey. What, what frustrates me about Tyson is that I, I went over to Germany and I won. Yeah, you won one fight, mate. And it might have been a good fight. And you might have beaten, obviously, Klitschko. And, and no, 
even if I accept that you can't criticise him for winning that fight, just winning that fight doesn't make you the greatest fighter in the history of the sport. I think, and I, like that, so therefore you must be able to see that and find some sort of motivation to come back. I think what your issue is, you, same as most people, would have had a sympathy for him three months, six months after, when he had the breakdown, when he didn't get the recognition. I think we all had a certain amount of sympathy. And now, what, coming up to two years on from it, like, get over it, mate. The sympathy well has run out significantly. Yeah, and so like either what, also, and also this in this entitled entitled opinion of himself as, as some super awesome mega champion. Like, mate, you won. I realise this could get me flack from not only YouTube but everyone else. But you won one fight, mate. <laughs> I realise it's, it's a valid like, point. That's a valid point. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, and he's walking around overweight, like he's not really respecting who he is. Yeah, and, Either walk away or come back. But if you walk away, walk away. Yeah. Like, don't attach your name to boxing. Still, shut your Twitter account, close the Instagram, and go and live on a caravan site, wherever <laughs> it is that he lives, on a traveller's site, and just be Tyson Fury, the man, with all the money that you've got from the boxing that you say you've. I'd be doubtful, but you say you've made over the years. And go and do that. But don't sit in this middle ground of like, I'm coming back, I'm not coming back, I'm coming back, I'm not coming back. Because we'll all get bored of it. And then when you do come back, which you inevitably will, no one will give a fuck. (laughs) They won't. I just don't think he will. I just don't... I I, I don't think he will because I don't think he can shake this weight. I don't think he can drive himself. The money will run out, he'll come back. Oh, really? You think that's what, it... what do you think he's going to, in 10 years' time, do you think he's going to have the money from the Klitschko fight? <laughs> no, no. So you think with the driving force will be the money that drives yeah, him back? Why do all boxers come back? <laughs> yeah. In 10 oh, years' time. What a waste it'll be. When like... the Klitschko money has run oh. out, when the Klitschko money has run out, Tyson Fury will return. <laughs> God's sake. What else do we need to touch on? Oh. Uh. Shouts out to Dennis Hobson, you know, one of the one of the unseen forces in boxing, but a definite Mr. Fixed in the sport. Um, still relevant. Uh, you know, big shout out to him. You know, people have been asking me questions about, you know, people connected with the Furies and maybe Amir Khan. <laughs> Let's not mention names. But look, if in the sport of boxing people are taking money to feather their own nest. And this is not Dennis Hobson for the record because Dennis Hobson is absolutely loaded and doesn't need to do anything underhand. So it's not Dennis Hobson. But there are other people in this sport who have been kicked out of various camps and are being exposed publicly for the allegation would suggest misfeasance. Some might use a stronger word like fraud. But if it's true, man, like there's not enough money in boxing as it is. Don't ruin the dreams of kids and don't ruin good social initiatives by doing what you think is best for yourself. You know, no one needs to be taking trips to the Middle East to sort anything out, right? And definitely not at 20 grand. So that was, uh, if that actually comes out to be the case, I think it will be horribly embarrassing for the sport and it'll be horribly embarrassing for the people connected to the guy. And that, it was actually distressing to hear that. Dang. Anyone with any leaks, feel free to let me know. I'll expose people on this podcast. I'm starting to expose these rats. You know, certain trainers training up in Rotherham, stealing their mates' wives and girlfriends. <laughs> yeah. Whose who's girlfriend was it? 
his own mate, man. I, I can't, I can't even say the name, man. I'll get sued. But you know, when you see, when you see the, the, I mean, the John Terry's into boxing. When, when you see, yeah, when you see the pint-sized dynamo, just tell him we know who you really are, mate. Yeah, don't go on Twitter pretending you're this really good guy in front of everyone. You're a rat. That's why people in Yorkshire don't like you. You're a rat. Sexy rat. <laughs> Fuck me. Right, okay, is that it? We're done. Done. We're done. Thank you very What's much that? for two hours twenty five. Sticking with us for almost two hours, approximately two hours. So thank you very much, and we will see you next week. Oh uh, no, I'm out next week. We're gonna it depends. Yeah, we might go solo. Two man solo. <laughs> yeah. The Lone get, Rangers. Get, get the rings out. <laughs> Uh, so yes we will see you anon uh, thank you very much for listening get in touch with your questions or I'll talk to you on Twitter anyway at New Age Podfather at New Age Boxing UK at The Seven Wolves um, yeah I guess that's it really thank Be you safe. very much for listening bye